Uh, good to see you. We're going to pray tonight for uh, Eddie, who's back there doing sound. He's taken uh, Albert and some other brothers from the fellowship down to Mexico for the Souls for Souls. You contributed about $2,100, and so uh, we're going to buy 150 pairs of shoes. Um, and Eddie will be taking the group down there, and then they take the kids from Casa del Pastor. I think there's 85 right now, and they get new school shoes. So this is really cool, and thank you for giving, and I'll tell the fellowship about that next week, but we're going to pray for Eddie and his team for safety, because they're going to leave Friday, right? You come back Sunday? Sunday night. Sunday night. So, uh, oh, and by the way, <clears throat> we just installed some new elders. We had, um, since I, I uh, began to be the uh, pastor back uh, seven years ago, eight, seven and a half years ago, um, I... Uh, asked these men that have been part of our church for many years to come alongside and, and help lead the church um, in a spiritual capacity. So I invited 13 men, and all of them uh, became elders. Um, I put them on stage the first maybe service or two, you know, just to let you know who they were. And uh, several of them, Devon, uh, whose wife is our, our financial uh, officer here at the church, um, she still comes here and does business work, but Devon is teaching the Bible on uh, Sunday mornings up in Big Bear. So he was an usher, but then he's gone on. And then Kenny Castro, who'd been a member here for 25 years and was an elder, he went. Now he's assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel in, um, over in Eastvale. And um, uh, several of the guys moved. They just, you know, they moved. And so... Nobody left for any other reason, but God called them away. They all didn't want to go, and it was, it was really interesting how things changed. But um, speaking with the elders, we installed four new guys this past Sunday, and Eddie is one of them. Uh, he's been teaching the Bible on Tuesday nights, and then he teaches on Sunday night. Some of you have heard Eddie teach, so uh, it's kind of natural progression. Um, we got a, the, the, the elders, the older elders wanted younger elders, so... <laughs> I mean, that makes sense, right? As we get older, we need to replace. So uh, Eddie and uh, John Alvers and, um, let's see, Rob Murray. And the fourth one was? Barry. Barry. Oh, Barry Shadone. So those four are the new elders that make kind of the complement the whole group. And the other guys, you probably know the other ones, but. Um, we just installed them, and, and Eddie, and, and just his leadership, not a, only on Tuesday nights, but helping in the sound room and also going to Mexico, leading that Souls for Souls ministry. So uh, I thank the Lord for all of those four men, and uh, we're going to pray for this, this specific Me Mexico missions trip that's going to take place Friday. So let's do that. Let's bow in a word of prayer. And, and Father, we just want to open our service just acknowledging these four men that have been asked, uh, looked at in terms of the scripture, prayed over uh, individually, and, and they even prayed about accepting, and they did. They accepted that role of elder, and we're grateful, Lord. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would use them and the other men, uh, the, the guys, Daniel Turner and Eddie and Frank and all the other guys that serve, Rob Wyman, Bill Weiss, the guys that that really make this church function. Um, we pray, Lord, that you would use them spiritually and that you would guide them and lead them, and we thank you for them. But tonight we want to pray for Eddie and, and this trip with Albert 
and uh, others that are going to be going down this Friday to, to uh, purchase shoes for these children at Casa del Pastor, the missionary, Jeannie Sue, and the mission we've been supporting for 30, almost 30 years now. And we thank you, God, for that. We pray that you would use that in a wonderful way to speak love to those children, that they're loved and prayed for by other Christians, by another church. And Lord, that you would just uh, encourage them. But give our team traveling mercy. Give them blessing as they go. Cause them to be unified in all that they do and, and use that ministry for your glory. And tonight, Lord, as we come to your word, we're grateful, thankful for it. We ask that you teach us. And, and one other prayer, Lord, I, I want to pray for these ladies in our fellowship that are pregnant right now. Pray for Lisa, who's here tonight, and Jessa, and Erica, Edward's wife, and, and their pregnancies. We ask for their children uh, that they're caring to be wonderfully shaped as you desire. Um, Psalm 139, we pray that you would uh, just do a work in their bodies. Lord, and Yvonne, my, uh, my daughter-in-law, and little Lincoln and his many struggles that he faced and that they face with that, those extra chromosomes and all the problems that the doctors see. But we see, Lord, we see so much more in each one of these lives. We see potential to know, to love you, and to serve you. And so we pray for each one of these little ones and for these mothers and any others that I don't know about in our fellowship. Lord, won't you bless them, encourage them, touch them as well. And we commit these things to you, Lord, in, in the word tonight. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to Numbers chapter 32. We're in chapter 32. We've been in this Old Testament book for quite a while, and we're going to transition in just a few chapters. You'll see we're getting to the end of the book. We're going to transition right to Joshua. So we're going to continue the story. The story goes in Numbers and right into Joshua. So we'll be studying Joshua in a couple of months. As we move now into the fall, did you know it's fall, almost fall? This Sunday is going to be September 1st. And by the way, we have this concert Sunday night, free concert, love you to come. The four men that are going to be doing worship are skilled musicians beyond your wildest dreams. And there's lots of groups. I was at Harvest Sunday, and some of you were at Harvest Weekend. Lots of great musicians. But I'll tell you what, these guys are so good, you will be blessed. They've led worship for years. They've written a lot of music that we have sung over the years. And, uh, and they're going to come here Sunday night, and they're going to do a concert. So I'd love for you to come 6 o'clock this Sunday night. It's Bill Batstone and uh, John Wickham, Dave Owen, the drummer, and uh, Bob Soma, who is like unbelievable guitar player. There's very few guitar players that play as well as he does. And as a guitar player myself, I I mean, I've watched this guy for over 30 years. He is amazing. Anyway, they're going to be here to lead us in worship and sing Christian songs. It's not just a jazz concert. It's really a meaningful Christian outreach kind of a thing. So we'd love for you to come and be a part of that this Sunday night, 6 o'clock. All right. Well, well, here in Numbers chapter 32, as we approach the end of the book, because uh, we, we learn where geographically the children of Israel are. They've been wandering through the desert for 38 years. After 400 years in bondage in Egypt, God miraculously delivered them through the deliverer, Moses, who is a type of Christ. And we've seen that as we've done our study. 
They were delivered out of the bondage of slavery, out of sin. And they're being brought to the promised land, just as you and I, as we put our faith in Christ, are delivered from the bondage of sin, and we have the hope of what? Heaven. So we're promised a land, a new land, a, a wonderful place. So the, the parallel in the Old and New Testament are phenomenal. We've seen that as we've done our study. But these people, as they came out of uh, this area of, of um, Sinai, and they were at the foot of the mountain, and God gave them all the new rules the first year and a half or so from their, their venture from Egypt, they sinned. They, they sinned against God. They didn't keep the law. God gave the law again to them, and he's, he's going to give the law again to them. He's punished them. He's nurturing them. They're slaves. They're bumblers. They're failures. They're whiners. They're complainers. And when he brought them 38 years ago to the border of Canaan and a place called Kadesh Barnea, you'll remember they sent in spies, 12 spies. Ten spies had the majority report, and they said, we'll never make it. The cities are fortified. The giants are too big. They're going to kill us all. And rather than looking by faith to the Lord, trusting him and his word, I'll get you there. They said, no, no, they were fearful. And, and their unfaithfulness brought them to 38 years of wandering in the desert. God made them go around and around for 38 years until that unfaithful generation died. His, this is the second generation. The younger generation is now at the border. They're right across from Jericho on the west side of the Jordan River. That's where we find them here in this book uh, tonight or this chapter 32 tonight. And God has reissued their, um, uh, the, the, the system of animal sacrifice. He's reissued and reminded them of the fact he wants them to remember him on a weekly basis with the Sabbath and on a monthly basis with the, the different uh, feasts that they celebrate and yearly at the major feasts. So I want this for a, a continual throughout all your generations. You remember me. I brought you out. Remember all my promises. So do these feasts and do these animal sacrifices because you're sinners and you need it over and over and over again. And so these tribes now, they come to this place, and we come to chapter 32, where they've just promised their vow, and God has held them to a vow. He's educated them to all the importance of their vow. And these two tribes, plus a half of another, are now going to say, we trust you, God, but we really like this land. We just wiped out the Moabites. We went out in war against them and defeated them. And their land is really, really good for sheep and herds. And this is, this is a perfect place. There's water here. It's not really lush. It's a desert, Moab, if you've ever been to, to Jordan. It's, it, there are some lush places. Uh, our brother Marwan sitting in the back row here. That's where he's from, from Jordan. But for the most part, it's desert kind of like the Mojave Desert. But this is perfect grazing land for their lambs and their sheep and their cattle and all their things. So these two, uh, Reuben and Gad, these two tribes with thousands of people represented in each one, they said, you know what? We don't want to go any further. We want to stay right here on this side of the Jordan River. And we, we want to just stay here. We don't want to go in any further because we know there's going to be more battles and we really don't want to do that. So Moses, can we just stay here and keep this land? 
And we're going to find as we go through the text here that Moses is going to challenge them with their thought. They're compromising, and that's why I've titled this Living with Comfort. They're compromising. Instead of going all the way and trusting the Lord and walking by faith and the promises and getting to the land, they were willing to say, well, you know, you guys can do that. We'll just stay here. We're good here. And that's really what this text is all about. These people want to take the easy way out. And there's lots of application for us tonight. Beginning in verse 1, we read, The children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer or the land of Gilead, that's the name that you're probably more familiar with. If you have a little Bible map in the back, you'll see that. That indeed the region has a place for livestock. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben. So they came to Moses and to Eliezer, the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation and said, all these names here, these are all the names, And the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is the land for livestock. And your servants have livestock. Therefore, they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. We don't want to go over the Jordan. Verse 6, and Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war while you just sit here on the outskirts? Now, Why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel? You're abandoning them. That's what he's saying. From going over into the land which the Lord has given them. Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. He's reminding them, this is what happened before. You need to go to battle. You need to trust the Lord. You're doing the same thing that they did back in Kadesh Barnea. Verse 9, for when they went up to the valley of Eskol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel, the ten spies, so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day. So Moses is reminding them, don't you remember this story? And he swore an oath, verse 11, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. So in these first five verses, we see my first point here, their selfish request. Their selfish request, these two tribes, they ask permission of Moses for this land of Gilead. They don't want to go across the Jordan River. They don't want to go into the promised land, the land of Canaan. They don't want to proceed and and fight in battles. And they just went through a battle and said they're willing to just, hey, we want to stay here. They want to stay right here on this side of the, actually, it's the east side, isn't it? That's the east side of the Jordan River. The west side is... um, where Canaan is and Israel is today. So it's the east side. Pardon me for saying it was the west. It's the east side of the Jordan River. Their their request really is just this desire. It's a selfish desire that would exclude them from fighting in battle, would exclude them from some of the hardships that they might remember hearing about from the days of old. And They're asking if they can kind of opt out here. Now, here's the application. God has a perfect plan, and he's setting up his people to carry out, follow through, follow him in that plan. But so often we see us, that would be you and I, we see something. We see the the job, or we see the number of how much money we can make if we only get this education and go for this thing. Even though God wants us to go this path, well, this one's better for me. I can make more money here. Or 
we see other things in our sight that we want to go after. And rather than trusting the Lord and walking after him, we choose our own path. We selfishly begin to compromise. Well, we love the Lord, we obey his word, but I'm going to do this because it's better for me. I know it's better for me. That's what these people were, were doing here. Their selfish desire led them out of the will of God, out of his perfect plan. And think about the wonderful inheritance that God has planned for each one of the tribes. He's been telling them that. He's been reminding them. He's the one that organized them around the tabernacle, each tribe under their banner. Very organized. He organized everybody as they wandered millions, maybe three million, two and a half, I say, but upwards of three million campers <laughs> wandering through the Mojave. I mean, can you imagine? It's hard to imagine. But this is what God has done. He's provided for them, and he has a perfect plan. He has a wonderful plan, but... No, Lord, we don't want your plan. We want to stay here on the other side, on the east side of the Jordan River. Clearly, they were stepping outside of God's will, asking for their own uh, thought, their own sight, their own, their own vision. They're, they're, we know better than you, God. Really, that's what they're, they're doing. So they're stepping outside of the will of God, and they're asking Moses to kind of bless them. Again, the lesson for us tonight is that we have a, been placed on, a, placed on a path. We've been saved out of darkness, out of, out of sin, and we've been put on a path, a path. God has put our feet firmly in a place, and he's got a path for us to take. And really, it's our responsibility to, to find that path, to serve the Lord, and to be godly and content with what God's put before us, not to seek something, not to go off the path, not to do my own way or selfish pursuit, but to trust the Lord, to follow the Lord in his perfect plan. But it's really interesting. It's easy to become comfortable where we are. It's, we're, we've been in the wilderness for so long. We've been in our own house for so long. We've been in this job so long, and we're comfortable here. We don't want to step out in, by faith. We don't want to trust the Lord because we're comfortable. It's it's really easy to do what I'm doing right now. So we decide this is as far as I'm going in this whole Christianity thing. I, I walked forward at a, at a, a harvest crusade. I, I, made a, I, I served as an usher. You know, that's, that's, don't ask me, Lord, to give any more of my time, my resources, my talent, my treasure to you. I'm, this is all I'm going to do. I'm going to stay on the east side of the Jordan. I don't want to cross over. I mean... I've been in this place so many times. As I do these studies, I find myself, myself in the middle of these things. We're so close to the promised land, and God wants to take us in there, but because we see, we walk by sight and not by faith, we see what we want, we feel what we want, we like what we have, and we're not willing to take that step of faith as God would have us to lead us to that full potential of, of the promised land and for his glory and your good. Again, as believers, we all have to live in that place by faith and trust the Lord that he's going to lead us to the, his promises. And we all know the verses, right? We know Romans 8, 28. We know all things work together for what? For good. To those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We know that all things work together for good. And then we know this verse, Jeremiah 29. Look at it behind me on the screen. For I know the thoughts 
that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and hope. We all, we read that verse and, you know, it wakes us up in the morning. Well, God thinks about me and he, he has a plan for me and he's got a purpose and a, a place for me. I believe that God has so much that he wants to bless us with, but we do not walk by faith. We walk by sight. And we, instead of trusting the Lord to get across that that trial, through the, the dark valley, through the difficult time to get to that promised land, we balk, we stay on the other side of the Jordan River. And notice here, Moses' warning. Notice, Moses said to the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, shall you, brethren, go to war while we sit here in verse 6? Again, the, the, Moses is trying to reason with these people right away. They, they see what they want. They, they, they know what they want. They've asked for that land. And then Moses says, tch, 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 you know, kind of a slap to reality. What are you thinking? We're, we're in this together. We're, we're unified. We're, what, do you, what, what do you mean you're going to bail right at this moment in time? Verse 7, now, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel doing that? If, if we leave you behind, everyone else is going to think, well, wait a minute, what about those guys? They're supposed to help us. We're going to lose without them. It'll discourage them. That's what Moses is saying there. So he warns them, Moses warns them against discouraging their brothers. Again, their attitude was like, well, we just fought a battle. We did our best, and we've got enough, and we just want to settle down. We want to take it easy where we're at. I heard this illustration years ago. Uh, John Miller used it, and I think it was a Greg Laurie illustration, where he says people are like mugwumps. Mugwumps are those Christians that sit on a fence with their mug on one side and their wumps on the other. They're kind of in two places. They're not really all in. They're not full in because they're, they're, they're reticent. They hold back. They're, they're not sure they're, what they can see. You know, they, they only trust what they can see. They're not walking with the Lord. They're mugwumps. When we settle for less than what God wants for our lives, in any area of our lives, it's kind of like the game show host. It was Bob Barker when I was growing up. I don't know who it is now. They got somebody new. But he used to go up to a Carol Merrill would stand in front of a curtain or a door, right? And he would say, here's $100. You can have this $100 that you can see with your eyes right now, or, and then they'd pull back the big curtain. You can have what's behind this massive door. Remember? You remember the, the temptation is you can either have what you see or behind the door. And sometimes the door would open. It was wah, wah, wah. Remember that? Remember that? But oftentimes it was a trip to the Bahamas or a brand new car or a refrigerator and stove or whatever that might be. And they, and they, because they had their eyes on the $100 bill because they could see it, they took that rather than the trip to the Bahamas or the Hawaii or whatever the thing. You, you remember the story. The kingdom of God and the riches that we have in Christ, the spiritual blessings, Ephesians chapter 1, that we have in Christ, it's all there for us. Oftentimes, Christians don't step in trusting the Lord, walk by faith, and take the path that he calls us because we don't see it, and we want to satisfy our own lust. 
our own desires, our, what we see, what we feel, rather than to walk by faith with the Lord. This happens to all of us. That's what's happening here in this story. Notice in verse 6, Moses says, Shall your brethren go to war while we sit here? Or while you guys just sit around? Again, he wants everybody to know we're unified. We're in this together. We need to do this together. You have a responsibility to fight alongside your brothers. You've been together all this time. And then Moses warns about the past again. Thus your fathers, verse 8, when I sent them away from Kedesh Barnea to the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eskol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger aroused on that day. Moses is warning these leaders, Reuben and Gad, not to make the same mistake. Don't do the same thing. This is what happened with the People, when they listened to the 10 spies, that majority report, they didn't listen to Joshua and Caleb. They only listened to the 10 spies that had this majority report about, about you know, the, the land being um, uh, too great to conquer, too many battles, too many fortified cities and the like. And notice the result there at the end of verse 11. They have not wholly followed me. That's really the point, isn't it? We compromise as believers today when we don't wholly follow the Lord. We, we're mugwumps. We kind of follow the Lord with our face. You know, we go to church, but we're sitting somewhere else. We're on the fence. That's what we're seeing with these people. Look at verse 12. Except Caleb, the son of Jephna, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they wholly followed the Lord so the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, look what you're doing right now. You have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all these people. It'll all be your fault. Because you're being disobedient right now. Do you understand what you're doing and the consequence of your decision? Moses is trying to kind of grab them by the shoulders and say, don't you understand what you're doing? So he says, if you do it, you're going to bring God's wrath down. You're going to get destroyed in the wilderness. So beginning in verse 16, these tribes, now their, their names aren't, the tribal name is Reuben. And that represents thousands. The tribal name is Gad. We don't have the names of those guys right here. But these are the ones that are representing these tribes, Reuben and Gad. So these, verse 16, the commitment or a commitment to fight. So they came near to Moses and said this. This is their deal with Moses. We will build sheepfolds here for our livestock. We have to build pens to hold all of our herds. And they got, remember they got all these extra herds from the, the defeat of the people there in Moab just in the previous chapter. So there's tons of livestock. We need to contain the livestock first before we follow you because we can't go into land with the livestock and then come back here. So they have a plan. They're going to build sheep folds there and our little ones, little homes for our little ones. But verse 17 we are, ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. 
and our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond because our inheritance has fallen to us on the eastern side. We want this land. So we'll go to battle with you after we build some homes and protection for our families and our herds. And we'll go into the land with you. And after everybody's been, all the land's been distributed and all the people are settled and all the battles are over, then we'll come back because we're going to stay here, Moses. We're, we're committed to staying right here in this land. They don't, they don't want to be responsible for the destruction of Israel. We'll go and fight with you. So they listen to Moses, and they build these sheepfolds and homes in Gilead and promise to finish the battle. So Moses accepts. Their, this is a compromise, right? Look at verse 20. Then Moses said to them, If you do this thing, if you arm yourself before the Lord for war, and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward, afterward you may return to be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. So Moses allows this compromise here. And he says, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But, verse 30, 23, if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure, your sin will find you out. You've read that. You heard that. You know that. All of us know that verse. I, I doubt there's not one person in here that hasn't heard that. Be sure and know your sin will find you out. Build cities, verse 24, for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do what has proceeded out of your mouth. So that little phrase, I love that. Be sure and know your sin will find you out. In other words, listen, you guys, you better fulfill your word to me right now because if you don't, your sin is going to find you out. You're going to sin before the Lord. This is a sin before God. You better come and fight with us, and you better stick it all the way through, or God's going to hold you accountable for that. In Genesis chapter 4, remember it was Cain who killed his brother Abel. And it was the Lord, the Lord who comes to Cain and said, what have you done? Look at this verse behind me, Genesis 4. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It's kind of a stark reminder. God sees and knows everything. He sees it all. We can't hide from God. You cannot hide from God. I can't hide from God. The faster you realize that and understand that as a Christian, as a young believer, as a middle-aged believer, as, a, as an old, crusty, moldy Christian, the faster you realize that, the more success you have in your life the more joy you have in your life because you know you can't hide from God. So you walk righteously before him and with every capacity he gives you. You do the best you can and commit it, the rest to the Lord. And when the Lord comes to you and says, uh, excuse me, Lee, and, and that's the way the Holy Spirit works in my life, uh, that was wrong. Oh, you know, it's like you wake up at night and tossing and turning until I make it right. Whatever it is, till I make it right. Admit my sin, confess my sin and make it right. The application is that God sees everything that we do, and we cannot hide from him. I, I've told this story before, but I've been to Australia six times in doing ministry in 
90, I'm going to talk about the first trip I went to Australia and how I was kidnapped on Sunday night and the outcome of that and the song Billy Bastone wrote. And I'm going to share that. He's going to sing the song. It's going to be awesome. I love that song. I always get a tear when I hear him sing that song. Um, but I was in Australia uh, several trips later. And I'm walking through a mall with Esther and the kids. And Philip and Ashley went with us the last time we went years ago. And I'm walking through the mall, and all of a, all of a sudden I hear, Lay, Lay. Good eye, mate. Lay. I'm like, I'm on the other side of the world. Nobody knows me here. I'm in a city I've never been to before. And here's a, somebody calling. And I turn around, and there's a guy that I met in Perth like 10 years ago. Here's the point. I don't care where you go. It doesn't stay in Vegas. It doesn't stay there. Because God sees and God knows. You can't hide from God. That's the point. And, and oftentimes, God will remind you of that. You run into somebody you've never heard of, or you, uh, pardon me, you haven't seen in, in 30 years, and all of a sudden, boom, they're in front of you, and you're doing something maybe you shouldn't be doing. But just to remind you that, that God knows, and then you confess your sin, right? You, you can, we confess our sin. God knows. We have to confess our sin. We have to be careful. David wrote this, and I love, love this commentary. Notice Psalm 32 behind me on the screen. It's a long quote, but Psalm 32, 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And David says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity, and I have not hidden I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. When you are sinning, you feel it all the way into your bones. And the best remedy is to admit or confess your sin. So here we have these men, and and Moses says, okay, listen, you better do what you've said you're going to do, because if you don't, you're going to pay for it. God knows, God sees it all, and he wants these two tribes, Reuben and Gad, to keep their words. So notice verse 25. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses, saying, Your servant will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, our livestock will be there in the cities of Gilead, but your servants will cross over. So the warriors, we're going to cross over. We're going to go with you. We're going to fight the battle before the Lord will go before you in the Lord in battle just as the Lord says. So there's the, there's the compromise, and there's how they worked it out. Now we come to this interesting influence. They've had the compromise, but notice the influence in verse 28. So Moses gave command concerning them to Eliezer the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun. He's the general. He's going to be the general of the army. And to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, If the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. But if they don't cross over armed with you, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. So why is Moses giving these instructions to Eleazar and to Joshua? Why? Because he ain't going where? He's not going in. Remember, he was forbidden to go in because he, he disobeyed God. Instead of speaking to the rock, which was a representation of Christ, he struck it twice out of anger. And so God says, you sin, you ain't going in. And so he's now giving, okay, remember now, 
I know I'm not going in. So Joshua, this is what's going to happen. They're going to fight with you. Eliezer, you know, bless them too. This tribe is going in. So when they come out, they're going to have this land. So he's reminding this is the deal that they've made. And uh, verse 31, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, as the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. We will cross over your arm before the Lord in the land of Canaan, but the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us on this side of the Jordan. So Moses gave the children of Gad to the children of Reuben, and here it is. Here's, here's the, the influence. Half the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. Something's going on here. These tribes are talking, and this plague of abandoning ship is now gone from Gad and Reuben. So when you look at that map, I should have shown you the map. Months ago, we showed you the map of how the, God organized the different tribes around the tabernacle. Gad and Reuben are adjacent to one another. Manasseh's next to them. They're, that side of the camp, there's this thing, there's a lot of gossip going around, and this is what we're going to do. And now it's gone from Gad to Reuben or Reuben to Gad, and now it's half the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of, kingdom of Og, king of Basham, the land of its cities, the within the borders of cities, the surrounding country. So the, this is the land that was just overtaken by the children of Israel, these kings, Og and the Amorites and all that stuff, so that you can have that land. And, but it's gone now to Reuben, Gad, and half, half of the people or half of the tribe of Manasseh. It's really interesting how sin multiplies. And the leader is really important, a leader of a church, a leader of a business, a leader of a home, husbands. If you're leading in a way that's corrupt, it's going to start corrupting the people under you. And that's what's happening here. Now it's moved into this half the tribe of Manasseh. They decided to stay on the wrong side of the Jordan, outside of the will of God. They were supposed to go in. God says, it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey, my promise to you. But they're willing to compromise and stay on the outskirts of the promised land, out in the desert, you know, desolate, because they don't want to go in. They're, they're, they're making a commitment to not receive the best from the Lord. They're walking by sight. They're not walking by faith. But this two and a half tribes... Now, they never took possession of all that God promised them on the west side of the Jordan River in the land of, that we know now as Israel. They compromised. They've disobeyed. They've, they're, they're unfaithful to God and his promise to them. They're, they've kind of made their own decision, their own way. One sin leads to another sin, leads to the fall of the family if your husband in sin, leads to the fall of your marriage, to the fall of your children, to the family, you know, and, and, or a church with its leader and the people in the church. And the, the, the way that all falls apart because of a, a leader. And here's the sad thing about these tribes. Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they are actually on the outskirts of the land. So later on in the book of Chronicles, and I'll show you this verse, 
a king comes from Assyria, and he's going to wipe out Israel. So how does he start? He picks off the, the people that are furthest away. They weren't together in the country. They were on the outskirts. And the, Satan is that way. You step outside the will of God, you're on the outskirts. You're easy pickings. He's going to pick you off because you're not with your church body. You're not with the family of God. You're not protected by the God's word. You've stepped outside the will of God, and that's what happened. Notice this verse here. They were unfaithful to God of their fathers and played the harlot after gods of the people of the land. So these Israelites, they started adopting the idolatry of Moab, the Moabites, whom God had destroyed before them. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of the king of Assyria, and he carried the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh into captivity. Wow. See where disobedience leads? always leads to captivity and sin. So this compromise led them to idolatry, and, and eventually, after many years, it led them into this captivity. God judged those people. And then these last verses here list the cities built outside Canaan, the cities outside the land there, verse 34 through 42. The children of Gad built Dibon and Athroth and Owar and Athoth and Sophan and Jazer and Jugabah, Beth, I mean, all these names, fortified cities, the folds for sheep. Remember, they made the sheep folds, and they built cities for their families. And so th- th- we're getting kind of a future of the, these, their names being changed. And Shibma, and they gave names to the cities that they built, and the children of Michar and Manasseh went to Gilead and took it and to dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. Verse 40, so Moses gave Gilead to Makur, the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt in it. Also, Jair, the son of Manasseh, went and took its small towns and called them Havoth, Jair. Then Nobah went, took Kenneth and its village and called it Nobah after his own name. So here's the application of this text of Scripture here. Two and a half tribes, you could say three, but two and a half tribes have made compromises. They've they've stepped outside of the will of God. They've decided they knew what's better for themselves. They were unfaithful to the truth of God, truth of his word. And they kind of were mugwumps. They had their heads on one side and their wump on the other. So dangerous, Christian, to do that. You could call these guys in the present vernacular worldly believers. They were worldly. They weren't fully spiritual. They weren't walking with the Lord closely. They were kind of like as much as they could stand religion. I, you know, I, this, I, I could take this much of church, but I can't take that much. I, I have to admit there's a lot of things about religion I can't take at all. A lot of things about religion that the Lord hates. That relationship with the Lord Jesus should change you so much that you won't like the world and the things that are in the world. You won't want to adopt them. You won't want to have those behaviors. And that you'll want to go across that river victoriously into the place that God's promised you. You're going to want that. When you were saved from, I'm not sure about you, but when I was on the field Sunday night, we saw people weeping and crying. We, we prayed with a, a family and a young one that came to Christ. There's a real sweet story. A, a um, cousin brought her 
uh, I think she was 13 years old. Oh, nine. And brought her nine-year-old cousin, and she was like, yeah, I want to accept Jesus. And, and her little nine-year-old cousin was like, I told her she needs to come to the Lord. And she was like, I, yeah, I came down. I, I want to accept the Lord. And she, I took her to Sunday school this Sunday. It was really cute to see this, and this little nine-year-old ministering to her cousin. It was, it was precious. But I saw other people there. You know, they look worldly. They look beat up by the world, tearing, crying. The official number from Harvest was 8,000, 8, I think, or 8,100 decisions for Christ, over 100,000 people in attendance. I, I love that event. I think it's wonderful. But when you come to Christ and you're saved, you're saved from the world, the drugs and sex and alcohol and all of those things. But to be a mugwump is to kind of, well, I've been saved from that, but I dabble in it a little bit. I stay in it a little bit. Instead of being full on with the Lord, you dabble and play with the old habits and the old ways. You're a mugwump. You're compromising. And like these tribes, Gad, Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh, there will be a price to pay for that. Uh, I want to be as full on as I can be. I want to follow the Lord. I want to trust in the Lord. I want to do what God's called me to do the best I can. I think we all should have that as our goal. You know, trust the Lord and be faithful to his word and pursue the Lord. That's the main thing. Otherwise, we risk compromising our walk with a shallow relationship with God. Warren Wiersbe said, when material gain, not the glory of God, govern our decisions, we will make the wrong decisions. When we seek material rather than the spiritual, we'll make bad choices. Jesus said this in closing, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Christians who live on the border, on the fence, mugwumps, one foot in, one foot out, you'll never have all the blessings God has planned for you. You'll never have it all. I hope that you get the idea here and understand what is being taught. We need to be all in. And we need to trust the Lord for the, the, the stuff on the other side. But it's going to be hard going across there. It's dark and I'm unsure. Yeah, you have to walk by faith and not by sight. You have to trust the Lord. And as you do, as you do, God will bring you into that place that he wants to give you that promised land. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight, this Old Testament history of the children of Israel, many applications. One truth, one interpretation, one history, but many applications for us as believers tonight. I, I pray that you would help us to be a church of people, that I would be a pastor, that that will not compromise with your truth and with your word. I pray, Lord, that you would remind me that you see everything I do. Remind us, Lord, that we can't hide anything from you. And Lord, may we please you by following you. May we 
order our lives in a way that honors you and truly walk in that path that you've set before us in victory and confidence and faith and trust and dependence in you and your word. We pray tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.